Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. We've got a great episode for you today. Joining me is Laura Wilkinson. Laura is a Olympic gold medalist and she has had such an impressive career, an impressive journey. We're going to be sharing her journey today on the podcast and we're also going to be diving into some of the strategies and unique considerations she developed along her journey that helped her achieve her ultimate goal of winning a gold medal in the Olympics. This is an incredible episode with so much great content packed into a pretty short amount of time. I know you're going to love it. I do have to apologize. Some of my audio came out a little bit staticky. And I now have a new podcast microphone, so forgive me about that. This is a great episode, though, and I know you're going to love it. Enjoy. Laura, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to work with you today. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Dan, thanks for having me on. I'm excited, too. For people who might not be familiar with you, or maybe they haven't heard of, oh, I don't know, the Olympic Games, would you mind <laughs> tell me a little bit about who you are and all the incredible things that you've done? Um, yes, I have been to a few of those Olympic games. I went to three of them um, and I won a gold medal at my very first one in 2000 in platform diving. So I am the crazy person who launches myself off a three-story building, flips a bunch of times and tries to make no splash. So that's in a nutshell what I did, um, what I love to do. Uh, and I also won a world cup title and a world championship title. Um, and now I'm a mama of four and coaching athletes on that mindset and high performance that I love so much. That's awesome. And it sounds like you have like five full-time jobs that are competing with each other right now between kids and coaching athletes and being an athlete yourself. Where do you like have time to sleep in there, Laura? My goodness. It does. It doesn't happen enough. <laughs> I do. I know. I wish I scheduled sleep more into my, into my actual calendar. I need to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, I can completely relate to that. Uh, especially lately. I want to take a minute, though. It sounds like you've had a pretty impressive journey, especially stemming back to, you know, winning a gold medal in your first Olympic Games. That's pretty impressive. And, you know, to qualify for the Olympics alone is a feat in itself. But to mm -hmm. win a gold medal is an incredible, uh, just an additional feat soaring above all expectations and heights. Um, but I imagine you probably had some like nervousness or like uneasiness leading up to uh, that event and that competition. Walk me through what was going on kind of leading up to your first Olympic Games, if you could, Laura. Well, I had, was actually at University of Texas on a full scholarship for diving um, the year before. And that was back before you could just do like an Olympic waiver and just kind of put competing for the college off a year. You could only get medical red shirts at that point, like if you had an injury or something like that, um, or you could leave your scholarship. And so with the Olympics in Sydney, because it was a summer games, but Sydney's on the other side in the other hemisphere, the Southern hemisphere. So their summers and winters are opposite from ours. So their Olympic games was like in September. So it was a little later. So I knew coming back into a college season could be really challenging. And I was like, if I do make the Olympics, would I want to come back to that? If I don't make the Olympics, do I want to keep going? So I actually decided to leave my college scholarship and kind of just say, hey, this might be the only chance I ever get to try to make an Olympic team because like you said, like that's a really hard thing to do. So I was like, I'm gonna be all in. I can always go back and finish school. So I am just, I'm gonna be all in. I'm gonna go home, I'm gonna train full time. I'm gonna try to make this dream finally come true. And you know, the first few months were great. Like I, I was thinking, okay, this is, this is gonna be an awesome year. And then I ended up with a shattered right foot, a big purple cast and three months to go before the Olympic trials. 
So that was not really part of the plan. <laughs> so we were in a meet in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I was doing kind of our typical warm up where we do like flips, like gymnastics flips onto a mat. And I was jumping off of a block of wood and I happened to, to come out a little bit early from this one somersault. And I hit both my feet on this block of wood and I ended up shattering my right foot in three different places. I had a stress fracture in my left foot. Um, but that first week I was in in Fort Lauderdale, I, I didn't know it was broken. The, the doctor in the emergency room told me it would hurt more and be more swollen. So he didn't even take an x-ray. He just handed me a pair of crutches and sent me on my way. So my coach and I are like, okay, maybe this wasn't so bad, but I was in excruciating pain while I was in Florida for the rest of that week. Um, I couldn't sleep at night. I was like on the floor with my foot up on the bed, like just, I yeah had never experienced pain quite like that um, up until that point. So I finally got home and my doctor x-rayed it and came into the room with tears in her eyes because she was also a master's diver. And so she understood the gravity of what was going on. And she said, you know, if I had seen this when it happened, maybe I could have reset it. But now, you know, it's been a week and apparently I have really good bones. And within a week, um, see, I had broken kind of like the essentially like the middle three bones in my foot, the three metatarsals. And one of those, like the knuckle of it slid underneath. And it already calcified to the two bones next to it. So it was stuck there. It grew, she called it a bone bridge. Um, and so it would require like re-breaking everything, pinning it all back together. And she goes, Laura, you can't go to trials. Like that, that would take you out of trials. It's in three months, you won't be healed enough to go to trials. I was like, is there any other option? Like, can we do anything else? And she said, well, I mean, we can cast it the way it is, but with your bone underneath your foot, like, I don't know if you're gonna be able to walk on it, like, let alone jump off of it. But I was like, if that's the only choice I have, like, let's do that. I can always get surgery later. And, you know, that first week, that mix of emotions that you get, you know, I was, I was angry. I was sad. I was depressed. I was almost relieved. Like weird things come into your mind, right? Like, well, nobody can blame me if I don't make it now. Like I have this excuse, like weird stuff comes into your head in that time. But I, I just remember kind of the gravity of it hitting me a couple of days in and, and just dropped my crutches in the middle of my living room floor and just fell to my knees and just, you know, I was just like screaming at God, like, how is this good for me? How is this part of my plan? Like I left my scholarship. I left my friends. I left, I had won two NCAA titles. Like things were good at school. And I left all of that for this dream. And here I am like watching it just slip through my fingers, you know? But I, I realized on the, in my living room floor that, that, that had been my dream was to make the Olympic team since I was a little girl. And so my coach and I got together and we decided that I don't know how we're going to do this, but we're going to make a new plan. We're not going to look back and ask what if, but we're going to move forward with a new plan. And we ended up totally thinking outside the box, doing visualization for hours, you know, at a time a day, I would go up to the 10 meter in my cast. I'd like hop up there on my one good foot. And I go out to the end, I would go through all the actions of my dives and I would visualize on my head. I was studying so much video, um, you know, trying to replay the video in my mind, um, just doing all these different things I'd never really worked on that much before. And I only had about two and a half weeks um, between getting my cast off and the Olympic trials. And let me tell you, the Olympic trials in a lot of ways are more intense than the Olympic games themselves. And because, I mean, you have to make the Olympic team to try to make your Olympic dreams come true. So it's, it's very intense, but after what we had been through just to get to trials and be able to compete there, I was so excited. Um, and I was still in a lot of pain because I still had this bone protruding from under my foot. Like I couldn't walk up the stairs without a shoe on. I had to show, throw a shoe down from the top of the platform. So I felt so dumb, but I was going to do whatever it took, you know, and I actually ended up winning that trials, making the Olympic team, um, where I got to go on and, um, have this incredible journey. But 
you know, my, my finals at the Olympic games were a little crazy too, but I think it was because of all this preparation, this mental preparation I was forced to do during that injury that really prepared me and made me stronger than I think I was before. Cause I wasn't the fastest. I wasn't the, the strongest athlete. I couldn't get in the water, the cleanest. I wasn't the best diver there, but I was so strong up here and in here because of what we went through. That's what prepared me to win that medal. That's awesome. There's so many amazing things that I think everyone can take away from your journey, Laura. First, um, I love the fact that you went at it and you burned your boats and you said no retreat. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's it's difficult to do. It's difficult to leave that place of comfort. It's difficult to leave that place where everything is going well for a life of, well, for lack of a better way to put it, it was a dice roll. You were guaranteed mm -hmm. nothing pursuing the Olympics. You weren't guaranteed a spot. You weren't guaranteed a shot and you were leaving a lot behind. But the fact that you were willing to take that chance, take that risk, make that jump, um, diving pun there, I guess, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, it ended up working out so well for you in the end. And, you know, I like to think that even if it didn't work out as you had initially hoped or planned, you still would have benefited from it and you still would have learned so much from the journey. So, I think that there's something to be said about being willing to give up a state of comfort and pursue a higher status or a higher ground or pursue something that you've always wanted to do. And I love that you were able to do that. I also really like how instead of finding a excuse uh, to back out of it when things got difficult, you found a way forward. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of individuals, especially injured athletes, can struggle with at first. Mm -hmm. um, as you mentioned, you broke several bones in your foot and you had a very unique injury presentation, we'll call it. Um, I, I can't say I've quite heard of anything like that before you, mm -hmm. um, but the fact that you were able to kind of step back and break the mold of, hey, you know, this might have been how we trained before, but this is how we can still train now. These are the things that we can still do to keep the needle moving forward and keep progressing. I think that's very powerful stuff. And I think that can be applied across, you know, any discipline, any athlete, any injury is mm -hmm. there is some way there has to be a way that you can continue to train for your sport. It might not look the same as you initially trained, uh, but there's a way for you to continue to move forward and improve. Mm -hmm and work on things that, you know, you might have not even addressed before. You mentioned that, mm -hmm. you know, you never trained the mental side, like the physical side before. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think it was all perspective too. Like I could have easily sat there and felt sorry for myself and been miserable or quit and walked away. I had every right to justifiably do that. Like it looked like all hope was lost. I've had three career ending injuries, you know, that like everybody will tell you it's career ending, but they just maybe haven't thought of another way. Um, but my perspective became like my coach and I said, we're not going to look back. We're not going to keep saying, well, what if I hadn't done that? What if that hadn't happened? It was make a new plan and only look forward. So it was a different perspective. Like I was going forward going, I don't know if I'm going to do this, but I don't want to look back in five years saying, well, I wonder if I could have, I'd rather go and fail miserably trying and at least know than to always wonder and regret that I didn't give it that effort. Like I went to two more Olympic games. I didn't bring home a medal, but it did not make that journey not worth it. Like I wouldn't trade it for anything. I won a world cup and a world championship on the way to that. I did things in 2008 that I had never would have been able to do eight years before when I won the medal, like my diet, my degree of difficulty was like what the men were doing in 2008. Like it was a completely different journey. Um, you know, so I, it's always really in your perspective and like 
I, I learned through that, that every time I had some kind of obstacle, it was like, okay, this is my opportunity to grow stronger in something, you know, like this is in 2005, I had a really bad wrist injury. And I guess I, my first surgery was totally botched. Like they, they clipped a tendon. Like I have this cool party trick where my finger won't even raise up anymore. And, um, and I can't bend it anymore. So I was in a lot of pain then I didn't know it was a botched surgery, um, but I was in a lot of pain and I couldn't do a lot of dives. Like in a workout, I didn't know if I'd get to do one dive off 10 meter or 10 dives. Like I had, I never had any clue what I could do. So it had, to, I had to change my mindset from like, I, I don't, every dive is my last dive. So it has to be, I have to make the corrections. I have to do the right technique because I may not get another chance. And so my perspective and the way I went after each dive was completely different than I would normally train. And I ended up doing better at that world championships, um, especially in the preliminary rounds. I'm, I'm notoriously a really bad preliminaries diver. I won the preliminaries of the world championships and I'd never done anything like that before. And I held the lead and won the title at the end because my focus had changed. You know, it was just totally different. So every time you face any kind of obstacle, if you can look at it with the perspective of this is an opportunity for me to grow in a different way and just be all into that. And it's, it's not easy. It's weird. And it's scary. And you're doing weird things that other people may not be doing, but if you're all in and you believe in what you're doing and you commit to it, something great is going to come from it. You're going to grow in some way. And I think that's like the best thing that you can get. You know, you may not always end up with the gold medal. There are plenty of times I ended up just right off the podium or, or did something terrible and ended up last. But like I grew every time because I refused to let it stop me. I, I just wanted to keep going. I wanted to become more. And that was greater than my fear of people thinking I look stupid or failing. So that, that has to be more important than that fear. I love that. I love that so much. It's almost like the obstacle that was put in your path becomes your way forward for mm -hmm. lack of a better way to put it. Um, exactly. I think there was, there was a quote by Seneca, I believe it was that says, you know, a good person dies events with their own color and turns whatever happens to their own benefit. Um, mm -hmm. You know, essentially looking at whatever happens and making it exclusively what you want to make of it and find a way to continue to drive the good from it. And I mm -hmm. love that that was able uh, to occur for you despite numerous setbacks, not just the foot, but the wrist as well. Um, because as you mentioned, it's, it's easy to give up in that moment. It's easy to mm -hmm. lose hope, but the ability to continue to move forward and look at that as an opportunity instead of a setback, I think is incredibly powerful. And mm -hmm. I would imagine that those early setbacks that you faced in your athletic career have helped you kind of develop into the person that you've become today. You know, I think that sports have such a much more broad impact than just, you know, your physical health. I think that mm -hmm. sports really set the foundation for who you become later in life. No, a million percent agree with that. And I, I think it's really important too, because we, we talk about changing your perspective and looking at it as an opportunity, but it's also important to like, it's okay to grieve. Like it's okay to grieve that like this is not the plan I wanted. Like this is not going the way I want. Cause like, if you don't let those emotions out too, you're hanging on to them and they're, you're not dealing with them. And so it's, it's still in there, like turning in your brain and your heart. And it's going to turn into like a bitterness. So it is important to like, let that out too. Even if you have to lock yourself in a room and cry or scream or whatever it is like to let that stuff out, because if you don't deal with it, it will affect you later down the line. So it's okay to grieve. It's okay to take some time to do that. But then once it's out, like, let's take the emotion out of it. Let's make a new plan and let's move forward. So I just, I think that's something important because like, it's okay to grieve dreams. It's okay to grieve, um, you know, a goal not being met or, you know, 
a coach leaving or whatever the situation might be. I think it's really important because a lot of athletes don't, I just have to suck it up and I have to keep going. But if you don't deal with that, like those emotions will come back to haunt you at the wrong time. <laughs> right, right. And I think that's something that's very difficult for people to grasp and understand is I think a lot of people feel they have to harbor a lot of that in. Like, you know, mm -hmm. they can't show the fear. They can't show any of the emotion. Um, but as you mentioned, it's uh, almost essential, I think, to let that out in some capacity. And I'd imagine that that capacity looks different from one person to the next and what people prefer to do and that sort of thing. When you're facing some of these different challenges in your uh, Olympic and uh, diving career, what kind of things were you doing yourself to kind of let out your emotional anger or frustration or disturbances, I would say? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I lived on my own at that time. So I, I had privacy. So if I needed to cry or I needed to scream, like I had a place for that, but I also journaled a lot. Um, I would just kind of vomit all my feelings onto the page, you know, and just write, write everything down for better, or for worse. And it's really interesting because I can look back now and I, I didn't, I wasn't like an everyday journaler, but whenever the emotions were high, whether it was like really good emotions or really bad emotions, I always wanted to get it out. And I think that helped me process it. Like as I was writing what I was feeling and walking through, it helped me process it, grieve it, um, or accept it, or, you know, like learn from it. Um, and, and I could look back later and, and remember what I went through and actually see physically on the page, what I learned through that, because I didn't always realize that in the moment, but when you write it down, you can actually look back and see how you were growing and what you learned and how you dealt with certain things and whether you dealt with it the right way or the wrong way, or how that turned out. And so something I, I encourage people to do, like I created something called the confidence journal. And it's just like, it's not, cause I know not a lot of people are like big into writing. So it's like a 10, it takes 10 minutes for the whole day. And like, it basically sets your mindset up for the day, like making you focus on gratitude, making sure you're writing down your goals, um, that you have priorities for the day that are, you know, that actually, you know, are toward your goals. But then also at the end of every day, you have to record wins and lessons, like whether the day was good or bad, you're recording wins and lessons that you learned inside of that, because you can take those away every day. And I think when you can do those at the very, very least on your really good days and your really bad days on competition days, um, just kind of like recording that. Cause you can always look back and see patterns. You can see how you process things. You can see when it worked, when it didn't, and you really become self-aware. Like it's, I'm trying to teach people how to learn themselves because not everybody's wired. Like I'm wired, you know, I've, I've tried to coach other people that are, do not operate the way I operate. So I can't tell them to be like me because they need something different. So I think becoming very aware of how you operate and what works for you and what doesn't work for you helps you the next time something comes around because it's, it's not an if it's a win, you know, <laughs> like something else is going to come up. How do you deal with it? So it helps people navigate that better. Yeah, I love that. And I love the reflection approach because I've noticed a lot of individuals are very fast paced. Go, go, go. Mm -hmm. Just keep doing things. And, um, you know, we we struggle to slow down sometimes. And I'm very mm -hmm. guilty of that myself. It's nice and fun to stay busy. And especially in the athletic world, you know, you might be balancing college classes or high school classes plus a full-time sport demand plus, you know, possible like relationship or job or occupation or NIL deals, like there's so many different factors that you end up juggling and you become like, you're not just an athlete, you have so many other things going on in life. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very difficult for individuals to escape that noise at times and be able to kind of stop and 
sit in silence and let their thoughts flow and be able to kind of reflect on things. So I love the journaling approach. I love the gratitude approach. And I really like the fact that you're able to kind of sit there and learn as you go, as opposed to, you know, making the same, we'll, we'll call it a mistake, but repeating the same lesson over and over again and not actually taking away from it what you want to. It's the definition of insanity, right? <laughs> <laughs> And, yeah. and, you know, I think, I think that speaks volumes too, to the fact that I see a lot of athletes who have come to me expressing, you know, concerns and struggles from a mental health standpoint. And, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of value in some of these different things that you're sharing here today so far, Laura. Um, it's just almost crazy to me that it's not being discussed more in today's day and age. Um, I, I agree. And I, th I think of it almost like a prehab, like, right. Like when you're, when you're rehabbing something after an injury, that's one thing you're doing that physical therapy to get better, but like, they're also preventative exercises you can do to keep from getting those injuries. Right. And I feel like with mindset and, and working on the things that I'm, I'm helping people kind of work through, it's really preventing them from going down that mental health hill. You know, they're, they're dealing with things, they're learning about themselves. They're learning how to ebb and flow and like roll with the punches or to grieve and get things out instead of just just go, 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 not deal with anything. And three years down the line, you are like a hot mess because you've not dealt with anything that has just been happening because you're you're not taking time to think about it. You just always want something in your ears or something to do or to keep you busy to distract you from what you need to deal with. And that's hard. So like if we can learn how to do that, the, the quicker we can learn how to do those things and learn about ourselves, then we can prevent ourselves from kind of falling down that mental health hill, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. And you know, I would imagine for you taking some of these mindset practices or when you're in the moment trying to recover from some of these injuries and you're able to still do some type of training for your sport, even if it's just the mental repetitions and the visual imagery and that sort of thing. I'd imagine that helped you so much in those times where you were otherwise limited in one, one capacity or another. It was. And it, and it's, it's something as I'm coaching athletes on how to visualize and how to walk through these times, I have to remind them that like, it's not easy. Like if people, if somebody tells me that they've come and they visualize, oh yeah, I just show up to meet and I visualize. I'm like, you don't know what you're doing because if you're just showing up and, and you think you're visualizing and you know what you're doing and it was never a struggle and you never had any issues, I don't think you're doing it right. <laughs> like you need to tell me what's going on because when you start actually visualizing and really putting yourself in the moment, you are probably going to do it incorrectly because it takes time to like figure out how to make your mind operate in the way you want it to visualize yourself doing perfect technique or doing something a certain way. Like some people have a, an easier time with like one way, you know, looking at a first person or third person, but like it takes time and training, just like physical preparation takes time and training. And people don't think they need to because it's their mind. Like who needs to train their mind? Like, it's just funny. So people start doing it and then they, they try to spend all this time doing it. They get madly frustrated and they drop it. So it's like, no, start with five minutes, like just, just start slow and do a little bit. And it's okay. If you do horrible in your mind, like this is a process and it, you'll get better fast. If you do a little bit consistently all the time. Um, but it does take time. And cause that was something that was like maddening to me at the beginning is I would try to visualize myself. Like I was watching myself in a video and I couldn't not smack on the water every single time I was smacking the water. And I'm like, how am I imagining myself doing so bad? Like, this is stupid. I'm not in a dream where I'm out of control. Like I am consciously controlling this and I'm still smacking. So I had to learn how to like pause the tape in my head and like rewind it and like put myself in the right position, like 
paused there and then like frame by frame unfold the right way. Like it was really difficult and it took time, but I had nothing but time. So it gave me that gift of learning how to work through that. And that like, yeah, you do need to have patience with yourself and you will get better at it quickly. Video study helps that a lot. Um, you know, going through the motions with it can help, but there's all different ways to do it too. I had the time to learn all of that. And so I think telling, like reminding athletes that like, this is not an overnight skill. You're not going to show up in a meet, like magically knowing how to do it. And it's going to help you in the meet. Like you have to practice this with training before you get to the meet so that it helps you when you need it to help you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. And really it shifts the locus of control back to you at mm -hmm. a time when you've lost a lot of control over things, you know, you're being mm -hmm. told, well, you can't train, well, you can't walk, well, you can't do this, that, and the other thing, but it's nice to have something that you can do at a time mm -hmm. when you're losing out on, you know, a large part of who you are. So I love that. And it sounds like from what you were telling me before too, doing those things, not just helped you mentally and not just helped you at the moment and the long term, but that's kind of what led to your physical success eventually. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, I, I only had two and a half weeks between getting my cast off and the Olympic trials. And I had been in the cast for two and a half months, 10 weeks, something like that. So a long time, like out of the water, only able to like stand up there and go through the actions and think about things and visualize it and study video. But because I was so prepared for what I walked into, I was able to get my dives back really fast and perform well under pressure. And that time between when our trials were in the Olympic games, there was three months. It was a pretty big gap. Usually we only have about a month, but because the Olympics were later, we had this big gap of time, but I still had, even though my, I was out of the cast, I still had a bone protruding from underneath my foot. So it was very painful. I still couldn't do a lot of training. I was very limited in what I could do. So I still had to spend a lot of time training my mind. And I really think that's what made me so strong during the competition was because all these weird things happened, but I was able to roll with the punches really well. I was able to, okay, I may have freaked out, but I knew exactly how to bring my mind back to where I needed to be because I had imagined so many different competition scenarios during that time um, that I was kind of, it, I, I didn't imagine exactly what I was going to walk through, but like I had imagined so many different things that I was prepared to roll with the punches for anything. So it was really valuable in that way too. And to go back to what you were saying about when athletes feel like they can't do anything, but the visualization gives them something they can control. It is really beneficial in that. Although it can also be really frustrating because you get to a point sometimes where you're like, how is, like, I was like, how is pretending to dive going to get me to the Olympic games? Like, this is so dumb. And I really got to a point where I wanted to give up, but my teammates who were all younger than me at the time, I was like 22 coming back from college. My teammates were like eight to 18, but they had been watching me day after day, week after week doing this thing. And I was all in because it was all I could do. And they started believing in what I was doing. And so when I got to the point where I felt like I wanted to give up, they started cheering for me from across the pool deck. Like I, I do my, I pretend entry and they'd be like, I didn't see a drop of water. I'd give it a 10. And they started cheering and stuff for me. And it, it probably looked crazy to anybody watching, but I realized that I wasn't alone and that people were in this with me and they didn't let me give up. And so I think in that time, 
having some control over what you're doing is great, but also surrounding yourself with people who are going to walk with you through that process. Cause there are going to be people. And believe me, I had people who just bailed because it's like, Oh, you broke your foot. You're counted out. Like I got uninvited to the Olympic trials. I had to like beg for my invitation to the Olympic trials. Cause they just assumed I wouldn't be there. So weird things like that do happen. So you need to make sure you have a very tight knit group that is going to be there because there's going to be those moments where even though you have control of some things still that you just doubt and you just, you get to that point. So you need those people to kind of have your back and be like, no, reminding you like, this is good. You're going to come back stronger. Like there is hope and opportunity in this. Yeah, that's a great point as well, Laura, the importance of having a great supportive system around you. And as you mentioned, it's not just having like, you know, one person there for you. It's having an entire group of people who believe in you and are willing to do things that some might perceive as a little crazy um, mm -hmm. to help support you and get to where you want to be. Um, and I think that's something that we often forget. We live in a time where I feel like everyone wants to be like the outlaw, do it all themselves, that sort of thing. Like, you know, we, we love the prodigy. We love the one mm -hmm. who gets the overnight success and we scorn the workaholic, but sometimes it's the one who shows up. And even if it's just going through the motions, going through the motions every single day and continuing to push forward and persevere through adversity it's the one who continues to work harder like that, that um, I, I see a lot of value in the work ethic side. And I also see a lot of value in those that support that as well. But um, I, I guess what I was trying to get at there is we live in a time where I think people are less supportive. And this could just be my opinion, but people are less supportive of the individual who is constantly grinding and working hard um, at something if they themselves are not doing the same thing, if that makes sense. Like there's almost right, like well a... And that's where you have to really buy into what you're doing. Like belief isn't based on evidence. It's not based on what somebody else says. Like belief is a choice. Like you get to choose what you believe in. If you believe that this thing is possible, if you believe that overcoming this injury is possible, it's probably possible. If you believe that it's not, it's probably not. Your belief is a choice. So you have to make that choice that you're going to be all in and, and do those things. But at the same time, like when people are telling you, you can't do that. It's not worth it. Whatever. You're getting these different mixed things. They're usually just projecting their own fear on you. And you can choose to not believe them because other people's opinions are not necessarily facts. So you get to choose what you believe in and who you listen to and who you don't. And, you know, if they're, if they're telling, like, I always had people, you're, you know, you're too tall, you're too old, you're not this, you're not that. Like, I always had people tell me that. And for me, it was like fuel to the fire. So, and people seem to be one of two ways. It's either fuel for their fire or they start believing what people are telling them and they decide to quit and walk away. So you get to choose which of those people you want to be. Nobody can choose that for you. You have to make that choice. And I, I really believe that pretty much everything in our life is a choice and which path are we going to choose? And that's hard because there, there are really hard choices we have to make sometimes. And sometimes we make the wrong choices, but it doesn't have to be the end. You know, failure isn't fatal. You know, failure is actually very important to success. You have to fail to learn how to succeed. So, um, you know, just, you, you try to make the best choices that you can. Sometimes you will fail, but you can always come back from that. Like Definitely. as long as you, as long as you have breath in your lungs, like you can still walk out and, and hope in this journey. Still breathing. What yep. advice do you give to the athlete who finds themselves in that situation where maybe they're not sure about the circle around them? Maybe they're not sure if they have the support they need um, and they just kind of feel uneasy about everything. What kind of advice do you give to that person? 
Um, well, I mean, like, look, take a look at the circle and, and who, who does like support you, who does buy into that with you and who doesn't like, and even if your circle, I don't think your team has to be big. I don't think your support group necessarily has to be like 15, 20 people. I think if you've got two or three people that are all in with you and that will walk through fire with you and like support you in that, that's enough. Just hang on those people, depend on those people. You know, if you're listening to people constantly telling you, you can't, you're not, this is whatever, this is fruitless. Stop listening to them. Like put, put in your headphones and listen to a podcast with somebody who's going to encourage you. Like if you don't have people in your life who are building you up, go find them. And, and on your phone, like listen to a good pot. There are so many good positive podcasts. Go listen to pursuit of gold. Listen to this podcast. Like listen to positive people who are going to build you up and show you the way stop listening to the people trying to tear you down. You do not have to buy into what they're telling you. You can choose to be positive and optimistic and, and look for the opportunity and what's happening to you. I love that. I love that. That goes right back to what we talked about earlier. The obstacle can be the way forward. So if the obstacle is, you know, your circle, then that might be your path forward. Um, mm -hmm. And speaking from experience myself, I found that sometimes as uncomfortable and difficult as it can be, you have to surround yourself with different people in order mm -hmm. to continue to persevere to the higher ground of life. Mm -hmm. Um, and that can be very difficult to do. It can be very difficult to, um, you know, leave one part of your life and kind of enter a new chapter or a new page, but that's kind of what we just talked about this entire podcast. I mean, you did mm -hmm. that in the sense of leaving the college and the comfort of the college team behind to pursue the Olympics. Um, but you can do that same thing from a circle and connection standpoint as well, I would say. Mm -hmm. For sure. And like, I didn't have, I mean, back in my day, I'm going to age myself real quick here. We didn't have podcasts and all this cool stuff. We had like cassette players and discmen, you know, where you had to load the disc in and all those things. But like, so I didn't have access to all these amazing stories. So I read books when I could of other athletes who were successful. I would record songs that meant something to me that encouraged me in some way. And I would listen to them all the stinking time. I would record little clips of some inspirational speaker, you know, like a, a Les Brown or a Tony Robbins or something, you know, I would have those recorded to play them when I needed it. Okay. I feel like I need courage right now. Who do I need to go listen to? Like it, whatever it takes. And if that's what you have to have on replay to like remind you of those things, like that's okay. If you don't have the people in your, cause I've been in a lot of situations where I was very isolated, where teammates were taken away or I would go home and I'm leaving my team, you know, things like that. Um, like after the 2004 Olympics, we had had this whole training center at our pool. And after the 2004 Olympics, everybody dispersed. And I was like the only one left on our elite team. And it was like, uh, everybody go, like, I feel really alone. And I'd had a bad surgery at the same time. So there, there are these isolating moments, but you can still surround yourself with encouraging voices and encouraging thoughts. You just need to choose what it is and who they are. Exactly. And ultimately, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like your journey from where you were in college to where you are today and the diving and everything else that has happened in your life has been about something bigger than just yourself, Laura. And I think that's a huge takeaway as well for people listening is make whatever you're doing. I don't care if it's sports related. I don't care if it's business related or health and medical or whatever, just make it bigger than yourself. Make it about more than just you. Um, because from what I've understood, you have helped inspire and motivate so many other individuals. And as you mentioned in the moment, you might not have even noticed you were doing it, but you continuing to do what you do day in and day out has made a positive impact on the world. And I think that's 
something that we all need to kind of be aware of and note that we should continue to strive to do with what we're doing, I would say. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's really important to find your purpose and your motivation. Um, you know, and like for me, for a long time, it was like I wanted to revolutionize diving. I wanted to push the boundaries. I wanted to break the glass ceiling for women and what they could do. And I did that in a lot of ways, you know, and in doing that, I, I changed a lot of things in the sport. But, um, you know, I realized in the middle of my Olympic final in Sydney, this long story short, um, I realized at one point because of something my coach said that it wasn't just about me and my dream to stay on top of the podium. Like it was about my teammates who supported me and would probably never get this opportunity that I had. It was about teammates I'd had. I lost one in a car accident and she had come really close to making an Olympic games in gymnastics. And so it was about like it being about more than me. It was about an opportunity for people I love that may not ever have this opportunity. I realized when we all watched the Olympics, we put our hopes and dreams in this person that we're cheering on on the television or, you know, seeing compete in person. And, and I realized that in that moment, that it was not just me. It was for all these other people who were dreaming and I wanted to be that person for them. And so because of that, I was able to do some incredible things in the final at the Olympic games that I believe helped me win. And so I think there's something in purpose-based performance versus like fear-based performance, you know, where you're trying not to lose or whatever. But when you have a purpose beyond yourself, it's like the mother when her baby is stuck under the car and she can like lift a whole car, right? But she's not strong enough to do that. But there's, when you have purpose that's beyond yourself and it's bigger than yourself, you can do these incredible things, you know, when it matters the most. And so I think finding your motivation, finding your purpose, that's going to be what drives you not just to do incredible things, but it's going to keep you motivated when things get hard, when you get injured, when you're facing some kind of roadblock or obstacle, like you need to have that thing that's going to continue to drive you forward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love that. And I love that takeaway, Laura. As we start to wrap up here, I feel like we've discussed so many different things about your own journey and how you're currently working to motivate and inspire other people and continue to help make the world a better place and give back to the athletic community, which it sounds like has given a little bit to you. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts or closing remarks or anything that we didn't discuss today? We, we actually covered a lot of territory. I really like that. Um, no, this has been great. I, I really think it's just, you know, if you have big goals and big dreams and whatever that looks like for you, it's going to be different for every person. Some people want to make the state meet. Some people want to win the Olympic games. Some people just want to get up and run a 5k, like whatever your goals are, they matter. Like they don't have to be crazy, crazy big to somebody else. Like they just need to be big and important to you to make them worth fighting for. And I think that's valuable and I think you're worth it. And I, I, I want you to recognize that you're worth chasing your dreams and your goals. Like, and it will, even if you don't reach them, you will grow in such beautiful ways that you will be a better person on the other side of it, whether you reach it or not. And sometimes Sometimes you reach them. Sometimes you, you get on a Wheaties box, like back here, you know, sometimes you get the gold medal. Sometimes it happens and that makes it worth fighting for. But even if you don't get there, it's going to be an incredible journey. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And any journey is one worth telling. I like to say, Laura, I really appreciate your time. As you mentioned, I know you have a podcast and so many other resources that you offer people yourself. Where can people find out more about you? Um, thanks. Yeah. It, Pursuit of gold is my podcast. So anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can check it out. Um, and also if you want a freebie, I've got a, a free guide. It's the top 10 mental skills that every athlete must have. So it's a kind of a great checklist assessment. It kind of tells you what they are. So just, that's just laurawilkinson.com slash skills. And, uh, then I'll send you an encouraging email every week and, and let you know what cool podcasts are coming out. I love that. We'll link to all of that in the description below as well. So if you didn't quite catch it, you can just click below. Laura, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much today. 
Dan, thank you. This has been awesome. Hey, everyone. I want to take a second and tell you all about AliRx. AliRx is a at-home food sensitivity and gut health testing panel. You order online and then receive and complete your test at home for food sensitivities. You then receive a custom report online through your member portal and then receive personalized recipes and supplements that are catered to you based on your food sensitivities. If this is something that interests you, you can check out the link and description in my bio and you can use the coupon code capital D, capital B, R-A-U-N, capital R-X, so Debron R-X, at checkout to save yourself 20%. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Braun Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.